Hello again, and welcome to Lee2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B. I'm your host, growth marketer Lee Moskowitz. If you know the Food Network, you probably know Sandra Lee for her semi-homemade cooking. But if you're in B2B, on LinkedIn, you probably know Tim Davidson for his semi-funny content. That's a self-described term, by the way. He's very funny. A marketer with a mission and our guest today. Tim Davidson, the director of marketing at Directive, doesn't just get marketing, he masters it with a sense of humor. Whether he's decoding Google ads, diving into ABM, or revealing the mysteries of paid social media, Tim combines marketing wisdom with a dash of humor, making B2B more relatable and fun. We're in for a captivating conversation that's part marketing wisdom, part humor, and all things SaaS on Lee2B. Wow. You have, you, you're going to be an intro person. That's going to be your next job. Literally everybody's saying this to me. That's what I'm going to do now. Just be a hype man. It was just so fluid too. It was, wow. Thanks for having me. I am excited. It's this, it's literally the only formal thing I do, but I think I can just become like the B two B hype man. I'll just hype the people who are smarter than me. It's freaking yeah. That was that was really good. I was just cracking up exactly <laughs> how good it was. All right, so this might sound like a Mad Lib to the people who don't know you, but you're known for posting videos where you explain marketing concepts while cutting fruit, usually while wearing a Hawaiian shirt. So tell us how. That's not a Mad Lib. That's right. So tell us how that got started. Where did the, the fruit cutting thing start from? Yeah, it's a great question. In short, I, I kind of stole it from TikTok. I was always doing videos. Uh, well, not always. I started off with text posts and I was doing videos and I was doing skits. The thing about skits is they take a long time. So when I say skits, it's like I was doing like two people. It'd be like marketing and sales talking to each other. So I'd literally change shirts and like talk as the other person. It took a long time. And there was also just things you couldn't talk about. Cause it's, you're doing a skit rather than like, I wanted to like kind of diversify basically. And I was scrolling through TikTok and I would find myself watching videos of people cooking and telling a story, people uh, unboxing, telling a story. I even saw someone that this is kind of where I stole it from is I saw someone basically they were saying, Hey, if you want to repurpose content, talk about something you've talked about in the, before, but uh, like the guy was cutting pineapple but he was just talking overlay. So it wasn't like him talking as he's cutting it, but he was just overlay talking. I was like, all right. So what I ended up doing is testing three, all three of those, unboxing, cooking, and cutting fruit while talking about a topic. Uh, The cutting fruit did the best, but also it was the most sustainable because cutting, because cooking, I just didn't want to have to cook all the time. I also now just get like meals delivered. So it's like a whole thing. Plus there's the cleanup. Oh yeah. And like, there's like the, if I'm frying something, like you got all that noise action there. It's a, it's a mess. Unboxing probably would have went broke. Cause I would have ordered a lot of stuff. Um, and the fruit that just ended up being perfect just because of the, the many avenues too. There's a lot of fruit. There's a lot of different ways to cut fruit. There's a lot of, and people end up just like hate how I cut it sometimes. So there's like a common thing there that helps engagement. So it ended up working out. Um, but I basically, I stole it from TikTok. I just made it into my own. You can't steal from TikTok. I don't think you can steal from TikTok. It's a um, You're really good at cutting pineapples. Pineapples. Like, I feel like that's a really hard fruit to, to cut. Like, the trick is, like, you have to, like, pull them, right? Like, how do you, what, what's the trick there? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. So one way, again, found on TikTok, 
um, is you can actually like, it takes a while, but if you roll the, I wish I had a pineapple on me. If you roll the pineapple enough, it like loosens up all, I don't even know how to explain it. It loosens it up and you can actually pull out like little, it's not, it's more, it's like a, a six tuplet, like whatever that would be. Like you can pull those out and mm -hmm. it's, it's the craziest thing ever. Um, yeah. It, it can be hard. So I end up just like actually cutting the pineapple properly. Uh, but yeah, there's, once you kind of go down the rabbit hole on YouTube, especially you learn a lot of different things. Is the pineapple the most successful fruit or do other fruits get higher views? Hmm. I think, I mean, probably overall, it would be pineapple just because I can get pineapples here. Um, I think one of the best ones was a, probably a kiwi. But to be fair, I was also cutting with an exacto, very small exacto knife. So mm -hmm, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's the weapon of choice that, that helped there. And then the, another one that did very well was a durian. Um, but I'll think, I also think, well, I, I can't get those here. So that's also a problem. Um, but durians, they also smell up your office very much. Mm -hmm. So it's not sustainable. But yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones too. I feel like it's the closest thing we have to B2B mukbang. Do you know what mukbanging is? Mupping? Mukbanging? No. It sounds dirty. It's not. I, mean, I might be saying it wrong, but mukbang. Um, it's, it's Korean, I, I think. And it's when people like, just eat on, on video and like people watch them. And sometimes there's that ASMR component. I'm like, look it up. It's crazy. Like there's tons of, it's called mukbanging. Again, not a dirty word. Okay. People literally just, just eat it. I think that's the next component. I think I've seen, I think I've seen that. Um, and actually it can be, because I, I think there was a, a couple I would watch. Don't know why. And they would be mupping. They, they would be eating food, but like they would also like steal from each other. So it was kind of like there's like a hysterical part to it. Um, but I ended up watching a lot of those and it was literally interesting. So there might be something to that. Yeah. So let's dive into your, your role at Directive. How much of your role is, is marketing the agency and how much is it working with clients at this point? Yeah. Uh, so now it's all marketing for the agency. I did start off on the client side when I started at Directive about three and a half years ago. That was probably 20% of my time was working on the agency. So I'd mar do marketing for the agency. The other percent of the time, 80% of it was uh, for clients. Over time, that slowly just evolved into like, I would do 50-50 and then like, I would just have one client and I would, you know, work on the agency. Uh, but now I'm just full-time on the agency. And I don't know if I'd go back to the client side. I know. So, I, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I'm an agency veteran. A lot of, a lot of agencies try to do this and will say, yeah, we're going to have a dedicated marketing person. And they're, they're still going to do some client work, but it usually becomes like client yeah. work becomes their entire thing, or they literally just don't have the sustainable budget to have a, a solely directed marketer. Yeah. So obviously you've had the success in your, in your role to prove that, that it's worth it, but it, it's a unique role. How, how did you kind of, I don't want to say finagle, but how did the role come about to really sustain a, a solely dedicated marketer for the agency? Because yeah, yeah. billable time is, is gold in an agency. Yeah. No, it is. The context is when I started with there's about 30 employees. And we've always, they, basically, f for the most of the time, it's been that kind of split role where it was you had clients, but also you're doing the marketing for the agency. And what would happen is, and we were also, also smaller, now we're 150 employees. It's the people that were on the marketing for the agency were usually the best client managers as well. So as you start to take away clients, that actually hurts the client side of the business 
Um, and that's actually happened three times now. So like I was the first one to be full t- go from that to full time. But there's been two others that have done that with me so that have added, been added to the team. And so it does it does make it hard, but it was worth it in the end because we did see enough revenue. And again, we're, we're 150 employees now, so we have bigger budgets, bigger, uh, more things we're doing. So it did end up being okay for that. Um, but how I got to that was, again, I was only spending 20%. Um, and we started seeing traction on, uh, especially LinkedIn. LinkedIn was a big channel for us. Um, I was doing, I was managing it. Uh, and so as you know, the first six months kept going, just seeing much more revenue. We we're starting to grow, starting to grow. Um, and just, it, it's not the, the best story in the world, but over time, it basically, our, our budgets kept growing. We kept seeing revenue from the things that our marketing team was doing, where it made sense. We could actually, you know, get the ROI from, you know, having someone, taking someone from the client side. Um, so it's just, the economics just worked out. And right now we have a pretty, I obviously I'm biased, but we have a pretty strong team. It's taken, you know, many years to get to and i'm pretty excited about it so obviously there's the direct of difference but but what would you say is is maybe advice or just your thoughts you'd give to agency marketers or owners who have thought about hiring or, or fully investing in a dedicated marketer but that have been too scared to what would you say to them Ooh, that's a good question i would probably actually go that that same route is you get someone that is that you can start you know, there. Obviously it depends on, you know, how big you are already. What's how much of it is the mo- revenues coming from marketing, things like that, how much there is to do. Um, but I would start with someone that's maybe half and half client side and uh, marketing for the agency. And I say that because I did learn a lot having both sides of it. I would say I actually learned a lot, a lot because you're obviously, you're almost like a, if you're in like SaaS, it's almost like you're a customer success person. So you're actually talking to your customers. So I yeah. learned a lot that way. So I actually think it was very important to do that. If I just went into it as an agency marketer, like marketing for the agency, I don't think I'd be as successful as if I you know, had that um, client facing role. I did work in agencies before, but it wasn't towards SaaS, right? So there's like a different dynamic mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually, I'd still have someone either pull someone from the client side or, ha- or hire someone that could do both sides at first. And as they prove themselves out, then you can kind of build it up. And as you start increasing the revenue, you know, the amount of things you have to do for marketing, then do it. But I do think don't overlook the client facing side of it because you they're literally talking to your customers and they're going to learn a lot from that. And I guarantee you there's somebody on your team on the client side who is very eager to move to a less client demanding role i guarantee that so yeah probably <laughs> i mean it's usually the, it's usually what happens with agencies right it's like usually it's usually the stepping stone you go, you work for the, with the clients and you kind of go in-house somewhere it's rarely the other side of it it does happen obviously um but it's usually you go from client side to in-house yeah and like you learn like crazy like no other at an agency yeah uh, okay. once you've had your time <laughs> you're often ready to move yeah but you can also but you do do miss out on things right like if you are in-house somewhere um so say like if you're on the client side and you're only doing paid media you're gonna do really good with paid media you're gonna be really good at google ads linkedin all that but once you do start to go in-house you're gonna learn more about like you i mean you're gonna be forced to learn more about seo you're gonna be forced to learn more about organic social and things like that because you do have to do more than just the paid media for the most for the most part there's obviously companies where you're just doing paid media 
it, it's also a different mindset. Uh, it, generally, it tends to be from KPIs to yeah. the OKRs. And obviously, there's still KPIs. But when you go in-house somewhere, yes, you know, lead count. But it, it's not just like, yay, we got leads and lead generation. Our agency is awesome. Or, yeah, the traffic's up. You're, you're the marketer there. And it, it's a bit different. Yeah, and you can actually talk to sales. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good at trying to get those conversations started. But when I was on the client side, you're just the agency partner. I don't care. They didn't care how much you did for them. Like you just were, and it's just the kind of dynamic. There's obviously outliers, um, but I feel like I was pretty good at trying to, you know, how can I get talk to your sales team? Like how can I get these kind of this information? I would I would ask for like gong calls from their like or just sales calls from Same. their company, but like. There's all obviously, you know, tons of like loops you have to go around. You have to talk to legal and all that. And like, mm-hmm. you just can't like, oh, do it. No, we are the representatives of the company. We're the point of yeah, contact. We'll tell you. you can go through us. Yeah. yeah. Been there, done we'll that. In house, it's just, hey, let me slack them. Yeah. Or let me join their calls. Are you a, are you a lead source in your CRM? No, not a dedicated lead source. No. no. Tim's videos isn't an option to pick from. No. But how, how did you hear about us? I could definitely search for fruit and that, that'll come up. Which is interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, fruit's an option. Got it. Okay. Not him, but fruit. Yeah. So even let's go. Let's go back a bit because in your earlier days, you dabbled in not just e-commerce but eBay specifically. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that um, eBay in general yeah. and just how that shaped your your marketing. Yeah. Um... I actually started doing eBay when I was in college. It was kind of a way to pay uh, the bills. When I ended up, what, basically what I was selling is I would go to thrift stores like a Goodwill or something like that, Savers, and I would buy shirts, uh, collectibles, like things like Pokemon cards or whatever. This is when it was. This was like 2014, 13, 15, when it was a lot easier to do. And Gary Vee wasn't talking about how to flip things. Um, but you, I basically would buy something very low and then sell it on eBay for a pretty good amount. Um, and that paid the bills and but I mean I did learn a lot a lot about just like copywriting because you could for eBay especially you can put in you know Nike shirt and like you'll get a different listing than putting in like extra large Nike shirt XL like how to like put the different keywords how people are searching that was just very interesting to me or just like the description copy like how people would want to know more about like the size or even just like measurements of a shirt or just like, Oh, this is free shipping versus not. I would test things like that. And it was just very interesting to see the, how quick would something would sell, but also how much it would sell based off the, the things I was texting within the keywords, within the copy, um, how was, you know, spinning things that are used, like how you talk about that was just very interesting. I, I took that a lot into, um, like after, you know, eBay, I went on to work at an agency for like lawyers and HVAC companies. But taking on that information was just very, it was very helpful, just about the copywriting, especially. First of all, I want to comment that we are talking about eBay while you're wearing a, a, a blockbuster sweater. Um, so an old Spanish, an old fashioned sentence I said. Um, but I too have had HVAC clients, um, and they're always cast of characters and illegal. And one, those two are really good industries to learn. SEO, SEM in because legal is one of the most expensive industries to to do anything with. There's tons of rules around it. Um, fun fact, I always say, uh, 
if you're a divorce attorney, you can't do retargeting, or at least you couldn't. I tried to do it for a client, but it was like, the rule is like the person's spouse could potentially see the ad. So that's, that's why that wasn't allowed. It might be now. Um, and HVAC too is just, it's so competitive as well. So those are two industries that you just learn a, a ton by doing. Oh yeah. And that's again, the copy, right? Like that's obviously brand matters in those, in those kind of industries a lot. Like I, we had one of the, the agency I worked at, we had one of the bigger HVAC companies. It was so much easier to work with them because they were, had brand, like their brand was just very, it was huge. Um, same with lawyers, you know, they obviously they put their face on the all the billboards and things like that. Um, but yeah, even cause, so I, I grew up like with the Google ad side of it. That was like my, the first thing I was doing at, at an agency. Then I moved on to Facebook and LinkedIn, but Google ads, I got really good at all the technical stuff. Really, like, keywords, I had it all down, all that stuff, you know, all that stuff. Match was, Yeah. Psh, that was nothing. Right. But it was the copy. Cause, but at a certain point, like you kind of just plateau. And then it was the copywriting that really kind of took it to that next level and how to like, you know, obviously landing pages, things like that too, but all that was copy that really helped it. Yeah. With, with Google ads too, specifically, because SCAG, single keyword ad groups used to be really, really big, still a pretty good strategy, but like you don't need to do that anymore because match types are essentially made up now anyway. Um, but like it used to be, and it kind of still is, is you need to have the keywords in the ad copy somewhere that you're you're targeting. So it matches for search intent, you have a good quality score, yada, yada. But you don't want to sound robotic because then every ad's going to be the same. So copywriting is actually a lot harder than people think in Google ads. Especially with that, the limit, the, the text limit. That It's surprising how much you learn about how to do, like, like condense things when you have that limit. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And then we always get from the clients, why, why, do, like, why are the headlines in different orders then? And I'm like, well, that's responsive. And then also stop Googling it because you're giving me an impression. I'll just look at it. It's a whole conversation. Oh, yeah. And then why aren't you showing, why aren't I showing up here when you're not even in the same county? Like, you, you're out, you know, you're traveling. You're not even in the same county right now. <laughs> uh, so this is a good, so we talk about Google Ads. I want to segue a bit into the to the paid social because it's two things we're both very experienced in and very passionate about. So when I say B2B paid social pitfall, what's the first thing you think of? Uh, LinkedIn audience network. <laughs> Go on. It's just a pit. It's just a, it's just funny. It's just funny to me because LinkedIn makes it, it's the default, right? It's going to be there. It's already going to be checked. And so many people just don't click on it. And I've, trust me, I've tried. I wanted to make it work. It just doesn't. It's, it's, yeah. it's just like garbage. I, I don't get yeah. it. I do get it from LinkedIn side. Like I know what they're trying to do, but I just don't get it. it it's so bad. It's so, so bad. I, I've, the only positive time I've, I've gotten it was when like someone was just excited to see their ad on another site. Like, like, oh, we thought we were just on LinkedIn. So, like, it, again, more yeah. anecdotal, and it's more like client pleasing than like successful. So that's the only time. Same with audience expansion. Like, let's just, just uncheck it, people. Unless, like, Facebook, leave it on. In, in a lot of cases, that's a different ball game. Um, yeah. LinkedIn, do not, do not yeah, check that again, off. Again, B 2 C, awesome. B 2 B, not. Mm -hmm. not. Unless you can, unless there's a way to put like 
extra criteria. And I guess you could technically, but it's just not, it just never works. Unless you put like extra criteria, like, hey, I only want people, you know, in, in this kind of industry, uh, they got to be this kind of like, there's got to be those type of things. But if you're doing audience expansions because you don't, or not, yeah, audience expansion, it, it's because you don't know what to do with that. It could it could lower the, the cost per clicks and stuff like oh, that, yeah. no, but, but it's not sure. the people you want. <laughs> exactly. Another another B two C thing that works well is lookalike audiences, but that does not work in in B two B. Well, I mean that's how I feel. So first, tell our listeners actually what what lookalike audiences are, and then your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so here's a kind of a real story of it. Uh, so on LinkedIn, you could put in like a company list or contact list and say, I want to look like an audience of this company or a contact list. And LinkedIn is going to find the traits, the similar traits between that contact list, the company list, and go find out and go find more companies or contacts like that, people like that. And so an example I did, you know, just a couple months ago is I put in a comp, a, a, our, we only work with software companies. So I put in a list of all software companies. Um, it's typically... I think most of it was like 100 employees to probably like 5,000 employees. And this is where you need like criteria. It's like almost like a chat GPT thing. Like, oh, I want only software companies. They got to be this kind of employee size. Because what LinkedIn gave me back was Coca-Cola, Pepsi, like all these <laughs> companies. Like, just, yeah. and like, I get it to an extent. It's like, all right, they're looking at like maybe employee size or something like that. But they were just giving me all the the standard companies you can think of. Um, mm-hmm all the car companies forward, you know, it's just, it's just a mess. I, it's just not good. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Like use the criteria. If, if you're, if you're going to try to do it, um, if you don't have your target account list and 10 data, like a metadata set up, um, <laughs> do that. Yeah. I, I can see, I can see ways to kind of get around it. Right. If you have like a customer list and you just don't, you don't have a, your own account list, like you mentioned, and try that and then add on extra layering, like only in these industries. And you can start to kind of pick out, oh, okay, maybe this is good, good, and good. But I think like maybe 10% will be good. And that's the thing yeah. that, that's really bad. Yeah. Um, other, other big thing people overlook, and we should talk about it because it's the most overlooked, most ignored metric. It is the, the Peggy of metrics, if you're a Hamilton fan of the Scholar Sisters. Um, frequency, but it's so important and people just ignore it. Um, tell us about frequency. Well, actually, define it for our listeners and talk about why frequency, especially in B2B, especially in ABM with target accounts and testing is, is so vital. Yeah. So frequency, um, so there's campaign frequency and there's ad frequency, essentially, uh, if you're working out, let's, let's just say LinkedIn ad frequency is how much, uh, like one ad when creative is getting in front of uh, the same person over and over again. So you have, if you have an ad frequency of seven, that means within that time frame that you picked, that ad got in front of each person seven times. Um, that ad frequency is the one that you really want to pay attention to. So if it's campaign frequency, so I can't, it's basically the same thing, but it's all your ads, right? Campaign frequency, I wouldn't even look at it. It's an aggregate frequency you want to look at because you could have 20 ads in there and as long as it's different, right, different enough, then the frequency at two there is fine, but the campaign frequency be like 40, that doesn't matter. It's the ad frequency that matters, which is basically how many 
times your ad is getting in front of each person in your audience. Now, why it's important is because if you're showing someone the same ad over and over and over again, they're just going to start, they're, they're just going to ignore it. It's just not, especially if it's a bad ad, right? They're, they're going to start ignoring it. And you start to see that kind of decline after that two to three ad frequency where, um, you know, people are just going to start, again, ignore the same ad over and over again. It's just not a good, it's not good. And a lot of people, you know, to, to like you said, a lot of people look overlook it. Um, one, because they don't know what to look for, I guess. Um, but also it's just a lot of times they're just busy and they're just, it's not like a thing that's in their head. LinkedIn also kind of buries it in the columns. Yeah. If, yeah, yeah. But I think the point too, and, and why you said campaign versus ad, which is a good distinction, is you do want your audience to see your brand multiple times. That's how B2B works. You need multiple touch points. You need to see it. What you don't want is them to see the same Canva ad you made all day, every day, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Another thing I want to talk about with ads is social proof ads. Because you are a big proponent of them, and they really do work for a lot of obvious reasons. Uh, tell our listeners what social proof ads are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's simple. It's form. It's your customers, um, or not even your customers. Um, so there's there's two sides of it, right? There's the customers that are actually your customers, and it's like the testimonials. It's the the case study type of uh, play. You know, it's social proof of you know they're like minded people that are talking about your, your product, why they love it, why they don't, you know, maybe, maybe they're in the middle. Um, the other side of it is like people that maybe they're not customers, but you see this all the time on LinkedIn and, and Slack communities. Someone says, Hey, have you used this product? Have you used this thing? And then people just comment like, Oh yeah, I've heard really great things. And so maybe they're not a customer. They maybe they haven't used it, but there's that social proof because maybe they just love the brand. Maybe they just heard really good things. Um, and then there's people that are kind of giving them that, giving that out as the kind of recommendation. And I like talk, I like it a lot in the ads because you could go with the very produced, you know, uh, you know, even fly out to them and kind of get like a case study of a customer or like a, a testimonial. But a lot of times it's just like a, it can be a screenshot of someone tagging your company in LinkedIn could be a screenshot of a Slack uh, message. It could be very, very simple. So it's really low lift, you know, and high reward because people buy from people. People ask Slack. People ask LinkedIn and other platforms for recommendations on things. And so why not just show them the thing that they should buy? Because right. especially in B2B, everyone, there's a very small community. Right. And so like if you're taking a screenshot of someone that's mentioning it, it, there's a good chance one of the people in your market in the you're at the people you're targeting are gonna know that person. So it's like a really good connection there. It's also a great workaround too when you can't make a full case study for many reasons why you're not able to. Obviously you should have it, but it's also just a great workaround. Yeah, you can't get a great case study, but usually at least somebody's willing to send you an email or common or at least something that you can screenshot oh yeah i mean if you if you actually just it depends on the company obviously but if you if you actually just do your re, kind of look on linkedin look on slack communities you do you know the search bar you can usually find someone mentioning your company um or even just you know a lot of times you get dms from someone or you know you can 
there's so many different ways to do it. And it's just a great way to do it. Like you mentioned, especially in some of these industries where it's really hard or the company size, it's really hard to get someone to willingly, you know, give you a case study or testimony or things like that. Well, it's time for my next segment, Spill the Tea with Lee. This is a segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B and it's going to get juicy. All right, Tim. You're known for holding science up at conferences. For those not in the know, there's that meme with the guy holding the cardboard sign, and it says different things. So Tim does that at conferences. So talk to us about how that got started, how that's going. Tell us about that. All right. Okay. So E2B events. I This is the first year I went to a lot of them, uh, a lot of bigger ones, Saster, Dreamforce, Sastock, all, all the big ones. Uh, but I've always known about B2B events. Clients always told me how much they were spending in a booth. Just craziness. Always heard, you know, the, the cost of it and like the, the running joke, like, oh, you get so many badge scans and no one's going to show up. It's just like a running joke, but everyone still does the booths, which is very funny to me. It was in August, uh, one of the conferences, uh, B2B, B2BMX, it was in Boston. It was, uh, I think they call it B2SBMX or something like that. Uh, it's by Marketing Exchange. There's a conference in Boston, and so I went on my own dime. Just did, you know, I had I'm a points hacker, so I use my own points for sheep. But I wanted to go there because I knew a couple people going there as well. And I told myself I'm going to try a couple of different uh, kind of guerrilla tactics. I ended up just trying two of them: the sign holding, and then this one's so so silly. But I had like fake $100 bills, and I wrote down like, "Hey, you know, I forgot what the, the line was, but it's like this is fake, but." If you want real B2B marketing tips, follow me. I'm like, it was something so stupid. I tried that and no, no one liked that. So that was that was out. You mean people didn't like being faked out with money? Yeah, yeah. It was also in a casino. So I think there's like a, a weird thing uh, there. Have you seen the ones where like it looks, obviously there's like the church ones. Um, but have you seen the ones where it's like, it looks like the $100 bill and then you turn it over and it's like Trump lost. Um, oh, I've seen Trump favorite. lost. Yeah, I've seen, that's where I got the idea from is I've seen people uh -huh. like, it's like the fake wallet too. It's like a, just like a piece of paper and you open, it's like a pamphlet. They can do it a lot in Vegas. Kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but that's what I was kind of going for. But the sign holding, I posted on LinkedIn, I created some content on it and it just got like a, a good amount of buzz. Um, and even uh, one of the, one of the companies there, they used my picture. Someone damned me. They used my picture in uh, an email newsletter or an email blast just to like get more signups or something. And I was like, all right, there might be something there. So I knew there was the big B2B uh, events coming up. Uh, Saster, Inbound Drive, Dreamforce, uh, Sastock, Pavilion. So the reason I did that one event to try the sign holding was so I can have something to show while I'm pitching this next segment here to my boss. Um, so I was like, Hey, look, you saw these signs. Like this is the, the kind of buzz. And I, one of the posts got like 300 like likes or something like that. I got a bunch of impressions. Um, and then I went to my boss and like, Hey, we can either spend, you know, $60,000 on a booth for one event, or you can send me to these, I think it was five or six. It's actually, it ends up being six events for this plan. Um, it was under $20,000 accommodation flights, all that stuff tickets and I'll do guerrilla marketing tactics, the sign holding, the, I'll try, I have some other stuff I was going to try. Like I have these like outlandish shirts too, that have like all the logos mm -hmm. on it that people like. I also tried like fake tattoos that did not work out well and a couple other things uh, that I'm trying out, but it got approved and 
it's been going pretty well. Um, I'm trying to evolve it because obviously you can't just do the one thing over and over again. But plus, you don't want to be typecast as the same guy <laughs> too long. Exactly. I want. I need. I need a diversity there. But I got. It, I got it approved. He was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I like it." First, there was talk of like, "All right, how many? Like, you know, are we getting leads?" Like, I talked him off the edge there. There's no leads needed. Um, no, you know, nothing like that. The only thing I, I report on is impressions from my posts about it um, and the uh, from our company page too. Um, and you know, the, the response is like, "Oh, nice job. When's the next one?" Like things like that. Uh, so far, I would say it's going pretty well. I'm going to start. I'm going to continue to evolve it. It's also been fun. I would say too. Um, I've also worked a booth one time. Not fun. Mm-hmm. You have to stay there the whole time. Like you're worried. Time, plus, badges. It's yeah. the same thing over and over again. Like been there, done that. I mean, it's kind of fun, but like no, it's not. What's your favorite sign been so far that you've had? So the ones that say like marketing and sales about that usually hit. So I have one that I usually. Put out there it's like marketing is awesome sales just jealous in parentheses that one that one's probably one of my favorite ones um but i do like to try to switch them up uh just again don't want to be you know typecast want to switch it up the one i really liked i mean i'm biased because i'm in marketing but it was marketing is an investment not a cost center uh, that one i like because again marketing but talk to what does that mean really for those who might not understand that yeah it's like so we all saw this in 2023, um, especially um, marketing's budget usually got cut, you know, fast. It was like you look at the line items, and all right, we can not, we don't have to spend money on ads and headcount. Less with more. No, it's, it's still a thing. Uh, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> um, but yeah, marketing is investing. Everything you put in there, it, it's going. It's not going to give you what you need, you know, today. It's not going to give you what you need, you know, maybe in a month, maybe not. Um, but it's a long-term investment. Um, but a lot, what ends up happening is a lot of CFOs, CEOs, really every organization, a lot of organizations, just look at it as a line item, cost center, something that we're just pushing money in it because we have to, you know, put our logo out there. Um, maybe in the olden days it was that when you have, when you have bad marketing, is it is a cost center. Uh, let's be clear. Um, but if you do, you know, decent marketing, it doesn't even have to be good marketing. It's not a cost center. It's an investment. Yeah. So we were talking about all the conferences you went to. I'm a pretty big critic of celebrities at conferences when they're just big ticket items. They don't engage. They don't talk. Snoop Dogg, though, is not a normal celebrity. He's on LinkedIn. Um, you met Snoop D-O-double-G. Spill, spill a tea on that. What was, what was it like meeting Snoop Dogg? All right. So here's some actual tea because um, this one got me pretty good. So I, I actually... So I was, it was a dream, is that dream force? I was actually going down the escalator to like where the big, it's a big area with all the booths. I was going down the escalator. I was actually filming something else. And I looked to my left and there's, so it's two escalators going down and I see like big guys, uh, they look like bouncers. And then I see this guy and I'm like, did a double take and looked like Snoop Dogg. And I was like, okay. At first I was hesitant cause I don't, you know, you don't want to be like, <laughs> you don't want to just like be weird about it. Um, but I saw him, you know. He was kind of giving the waves people and just the way his mannerisms were. Uh, and I found out, you know, it was a Snoop Dogg. And I say it like that because what I ended up finding out was it was a doppelganger. Mm. It was that booth. So a booth, uh, a company that called... That guy in the video is not Snoop Dogg with you? Got me good. Wow. I did not know that until after I 
like created content about it either too. Wait, are we racist or did he just really look like him? No, no, no. So they, <laughs> this company <laughs> called OSI Digital, uh, they're like a cybersecurity company. They're actually, they're like a thousand employees. I didn't even know who they were. But their whole line was uh, something about, impo- it's like, don't get caught by imposters or something like that. It's something about imposters. And they brought in doppelgangers every day. Um, but this one, I guess he has like 4 million followers on Twitter or something like that because he does look like Snoop Dogg. And that's like his shtick. But he looked like him, smelled like him, like everything, the mannerisms, the bodyguards around him. It it was like the best play. And they had a huge line because of it. Um, the other ones they had weren't that good. But this one was, he was... It looked just like him. I was. I'm stupid. gonna go back and watch the video now. And I'm gonna enhance and go frame by frame and do some forensics on it, and I'm gonna study it. It, it was. It was identical. <laughs> it was good. It was a really good idea by them. What What's your biggest pet peeve when it comes to conferences? Yeah. Um. You know what my biggest pet peeve is? There's two. I'm gonna go with two here. One is what I'm talking about here. Is just like it's you get the booth. I see how much they cost, and it's just the classic. Here's some pens. Here's a guy behind the booth or a girl behind the booth on their phone and they just sit there and wait. And there's like, there's just nothing happening there. It's just cause I, and the reason I'm so mad about it or it's my pet peeve is I know how much those are. Uh, the other one is the ones that buy the booth again, cause I don't know who they are and they literally don't show up. It's just, they do it to have their sign there. I just don't think that's a good use of money. That's my bet. One, hire a field marketer. Or maybe skip that, actually. A lot of companies skip that. What am I saying? You don't even need that. What what am I saying? Step one, get a booth. Then worry about how much the signs are going to cost. Scramble to make the signs last minute. Eventually find somebody who will supply it near the conference center that someone will pick up. Show up. And then talk about all the great leads you met who will never talk to you again. And then profit. (laughs) <laughs> or yeah or just like scan literally scan everyone that you see like hey can i scan your badge that's literally some that i have a video of that i haven't it's buried somewhere i was just walking by and they were like can i scan your badge my instinct is always like yeah i'm a great scan have at it but it's just so funny to me you don't even know who i am like you don't know like anything am i even the right buyer i was not on that and it's just very interesting my my simple tip is to say your name twice and ask for the person's name twice. I don't mean in a row like you're stuttering, but like maybe start and end the conversation because a lot of times like I'm still focused on saying my name or like still focused on what the person's going to say. By the end of the conversation, I'm like, I don't remember a person. Like, like let alone two weeks from now, I'm not going to remember it. But when I'm like, uh, again, my name is Lee, like, like what's your name? A lot of times, too, the people will like kind of forget your name, also, and so that's yeah. a good way to, to like remember people and get them around. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I yeah I'm terrible at that too. Is just forgetting the names. Like this doesn't work at the the after parties though. There's way too much booze involved at these BSA right. yeah, after parties for that. So you can't you have to give an answer to this, and you can't say it depends. People asking me this all the time. What's the ideal size for a B2B audience? Can't say it depends, because obviously it depends. Um, but within, within reason, where do you estimate a range of, like, this is where your B2B audience should be? Sorry, so you're saying for, like, a company? Like, you're... Yeah, like, that's, like, standard SaaS company. Like, standard companies, companies. I got you. Let's go with... 
28,751. I've never seen LinkedIn give a number like that. So oh, it's no, going to be yeah. hard to... These I'm numbers here. are always pretty. But no, yeah. I... Like, you're saying, like, below 30,000, right? Like... Yeah, typically, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it, it definitely can be smaller, too, um, if, oh, yeah. you li- if you literally don't have it. But that's exactly what I've said, too. Like, generally, like, 30K to 50K is is a good place for... Again, it depends. That's how we always say that. But, like, that's where you go when you need data. Um uh, Obviously, if you're doing different objectives, sometimes you need bigger, smaller to really get results, lead gen. Um, but yeah, and then of course it can be smaller because it's your it's your money. You can ignore what LinkedIn says about audience size, just like you should ignore what any <laughs> platform says what to to do. Like I've run campaigns under a thousand people audience. Oh yeah, like no, I've, yeah, hundred percent. I've done eight hundred people. I've done the thirty thousand. Um, it's a myth. It really just depends. I was being facetious. Like it does, but like yeah, you know. no, it does. The my my biggest qualm with the the LinkedIn fifty thousand audience thing is that it's just such a blanket statement. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yes, there's going to be companies that their audience should be over fifty thousand. If, if you are, if you're going after like, if you're doing like if like if you're a finance company for someone that like a small businesses, your company your your audience size is going to be much bigger, right? But fifty thousand—that's just their blanket for mm-hmm. every audience. Fifty thousand—that just makes no sense to me. That's just—it's corporate math. It makes no sense. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is their estimates are like everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like, oh, yeah. like yeah, it's all I, like people want estimates. I'll give it to them to make them feel better. But like, I also will change the numbers to <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's their estimates. Yeah. Most estimates are. I mean, you can't predict those things. There's so many factors to it. So many. The other big thing, obviously, there's the technical things like not using end rules and or rules correctly. But the actual ad side of it is people just don't tell stories through advertising. And with B2B, you you have to. And I know it kind of sounds like fluffy to say that and like marketing, but like tell the story through the ad. Don't bark your demo at them yeah um and you, you can you can ask like and, and that's what people i think get wrong it's like one or the other you can ask for a demo at the end like if you want but t- yeah exactly tell that story or give them enough context to understand why you should get a demo well we're gonna wrap up soon but to, to end our tea segment i want your your true unfiltered opinion here what is your favorite thing to debunk about b2b marketing debunk probably um yeah that's yeah probably like and it's not just gartner but data like that like industry reports analyst reports they cost so much yeah i'll see like a tagline i'm like okay that doesn't it's like no that that doesn't make sense there's no way and then you kind of like dig into it and then you see like the it's like five cmos they talk to or like five people or you know, from 2013, like something like that is just so frustrating to see. Um, and I think everyone's catching on too, which is very funny to me. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll get cheaper then. Like they're such big line items. <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, they're, it's so expensive. It's craziness. Tim, thank you so much for being on here. Obviously people need to go follow you on LinkedIn, TikTok, check out Directive. 
Um, I like to give a section. What else would you like to, to call out? Are you speaking anywhere, any events, or anything else you want to add before you're at? I'll be in Texas, Austin, uh, in December for the Cyber Marketing Con. And then 2024, I'm doing the 2024 in planning now. So I'll probably be at a lot of events there. Um, well, throughout the year. Uh, but yeah, follow me on LinkedIn, I guess. Follow the pod. Follow up. Lead to be. Thank you so, so much for being here. Had a great conversation. And I will see everybody next time on the next episode of Lead to Be.